0: what is up everyone welcome to education policy weekly i'm your host john phillips today is july 8th 2020 and i am excited to be joined by dr molly buckley maroudis who is a professor at cleveland state university as well as a professor in residence at the campus international school where she works on projects related to digital literacy in cleveland today she's joining me to talk about the importance of digital literacy for students I spoke with Molly last year before the first case of coronavirus had been documented, but as I was listening back to our conversation, I was struck by just how pertinent the content was as we start down a year that will have so many educators changing the way that they have traditionally operated. Molly goes through the ways that digital literacy can help with student motivation, parent engagement, and teacher creativity. This conversation is a must-listen as we think about 2020 and 2021. There are also a few other great works that I think blend well with this conversation. Jennifer Gonzalez of Call of Pedagogy posted an article last week that teachers have found helpful in thinking through next year. And there are two books by two Science Leadership Academy teachers out of Philly that are very much worth the buy. Matt Kay's amazing work, Not Light But Fire, goes into the importance of giving students a chance to publish their work in ways that make the work they produce feel authentic. And then Joshua Block's recent work, teaching for a living democracy gives clear examples of the importance of creating projects, imposing problems that feel real and tangible for students. I have links to all three on my website and in the description box. If you aren't already subscribed to education policy weekly, then make sure you do so on whatever podcast app you use. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at by John If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it widely and leave a five star review on iTunes. This interview with Molly was recorded last year, but our need to understand digital literacy and how it can help students is more important than ever. So without further ado, Molly Buckley Marutis from Cleveland State University. Molly, thank you so much for coming on with me today.
1: Oh, thank you, John, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So today we're gonna talk about how Our conception as an education culture around what being digitally literate means needs to shift pretty rapidly if we can hope to activate learning in the way that modern technology will allow us to. And so my question for you as someone who has studied and looked at this type of work and also who is actively thinking about how to improve it, what have you seen to be the systems and structures from a school-wide level to allow for a broadening of perspective with regards to what is considered a text and what we consider to be literacy and how it's taught and then what are the barriers as well?
1: Sure, Um, I think probably if we're thinking about this from a school-wide level, I mean some of the systems and structures that I have seen to be most productive, but also the most meaningful for actually embracing and engaging this, you know, very um, important notion of digital literacy that you're talking about is to make sure that all parties and all stakeholders um, in the school building and those who are connected to the school building Actually, begin to see and understand the value of digital literacies as part of what it means to live in today's society and to learn in today's society. So, thinking about teachers, students themselves, the school leadership, and then parents, I believe all of those parties play a role if there's a sense that digital literacy is significant, that it's important, and that it's incredibly valuable for the world we're living in. Um, that will actually lead to an explosion of what counts as learning in school. And you'll start to see less pushback for different kinds of assignments, um, for different kinds of culminating events and activities, and for what people see as like what we honor. Um, So you think about the traditional, you know, end of unit assignment more often than not ends up being a print-based written paper, perhaps, sometimes an oral um, production of some kind. Um, But in a world where we embrace digital literacy, we can start to see all sorts of different kinds of culminating events. Um, So there could be a documentary film, there could be a podcast, there could be a music production. Um, And we start to see these not just as fun and interesting hooks, but as actual representations of uh, incredibly complicated, incredibly important literacies. Um, And they also, I think for me, And this is probably where the leadership and the teachers need to carry the load is we need to actually recognize that they're an important space for critical engagement um, and also that they can promote dialogue. And I believe social change in really unique ways, Um, quite simply based on my work, because when we embrace multimodal literacies and digital literacies, you actually it becomes a much more multivocal space and more ideas enter the conversation or the film or the music production, and there can be dialogue that is picked up from that. Um, So I guess on a very concrete level, this means looking over unit plans or uh, different kinds that teachers are incorporating. Uh, For example, I've seen teachers incorporate podcasts, uh, documentary filmmaking, movie making. And so seeing that They're using a lot of the same materials they always use and the same big ideas, but that students can represent those ideas, um, talk about what they see in a text or something that they read, and represent it in a different kind of culminating event that has an authentic audience. Um, So I think that at that level, and that the administrators, you know, see that as valuable work, that parents see it as valuable work, that they're invited to watch the different productions. And that even when you think about end of year honors and awards, that some of the the very diverse kinds of literacies are represented in that and that we don't continue to privilege just one way of representing ideas or one way of knowing. So I think that probably is an incredibly important part of what I see at a school-wide level.
0: So when I hear that, And I'm biased because I believe that we should be doing that and bringing that into our spaces. And also just as teachers, also not being afraid to use other types of text because ultimately the world that our students are stepping into is one where they're not just going to be engaging in articles, but they're going to be engaging in television ads and news stories. And to be able to parse those things as text is really important. But where my head also goes is if I'm a parent who has a conception of school that is very traditional and mm-hmm. I am hearing that John, my you know, 15-year-old son, is now, instead of writing an end-of-term paper about Beloved, instead he is going to be making a podcast about it i am upset and so what have you seen to be and what do you think is the best strategy and argument for this type of work to appease people that it might give pause to otherwise
1: Mm -hmm. i mean i I think that is a challenge and something i have seen um, show up time and time again And even in my university-based classes last year, I had all my pre-service English, secondary English ed students complete a digital story where they had to represent their literacy life and an adolescent's literacy life in digital storytelling format. And even some of the students who, you know, I was under the impression that they might be excited about this, felt that this challenged some of their ideas about what kinds of things they might do um, in this class. Uh, but so I think anytime you face that resistance, there are a few things. Number one, I usually base it, I ask questions, and to parents too, like, okay, walk me through some of your life behind, like, walk me through your day. And typically there is a screen involved at some point in a parent or a student's day. Right. And when you do that, you start to see that anything we do today requires that type of uh, visual literacy, some type of visual literacy and some type of, you know, audio, oral literacy that you can only get better at by practicing um, and not just as a listener or a consumer, but as a producer. So that if, if we say, okay, walk me through your day and they go to like one of their most frequently visited screens, let's say it's a news source and you quickly see the text, the print text, uh, maybe pardon me feels, unfortunately, is so much less of a priority on that page and the links to podcasts, video interviews with the people quoted in the article and all sorts of other material that is by no means supplemental anymore. It's actually front and center. Um, So I think I try to get people to look inside their own day-to-day lives, you know, real estate, um, which I know you're moving. Um, yes. I have a close friend who's been moving, and even the real estate world, like trying to find apartments or houses, it is tremendously um, a digital enterprise. Um, trying to find a job, you you look at the ways. Very few places even accept paper applications anymore, right. and there are so many different avenues of of culling that material. So if you want a job in a certain area, you can set filters you know, to make your life easier and you can uh, make sure that you're not missing out on anything. So um, even the book reviews, you know, different kinds of good reads, uh, the ways in which you can expand what you know about one book by then joining a community of readers. Mm -hmm. So I think I would point to like try to have anyone who's feeling resistant to this idea, think about their own life and the number of times every day that they tap into some of what I would, you know, qualifies digital literacy skills, right. and and then also just say the ways that this will, like their communicative competence, that they can not only be consumers, but producers and become more and more uh, well-versed inside of all of these platforms, you know, it dramatically expands the possibilities for what they can do. Um, I also like to always think about that term paper typically goes to one person, mm-hmm. maybe two or three if we're lucky. Um, And whereas a podcast or a documentary, I have found time and time again, it seems so simple, the students can't wait to share it. Um, And then even the most resistant parents, they said, uh, I remember with this uh, one documentary filmmaking I saw in a 10th grade class, the parents were thrilled. Um, I don't have teenage kids, I have young children, but they said it's was amazing because their ability to get inside what was happening at school started to expand. So they felt more connected to school in a way they hadn't felt since elementary age because they just um, felt like it was pulling teeth usually at the end of the day to get information about what they were doing at school. And by sharing creative productions, it actually gave new insight too. So it can create new avenues. um, It's sort of a tertiary goal, but, maybe not for parents, you know, really an opportunity to learn more about what's happening. Um, And I think sharing with an authentic audience is always amazing. Anytime, you know, if people can make, you know, an Instagram story, and then they see people reading it and looking at it or responding to it, or, you know, sending it on and sharing it, it's incredibly rewarding for the students to feel that their ideas are getting out there, and they're shared with a broader audience.
0: I think all of that is really powerful and the the piece about parent parental activation almost it's almost like you're able to turn the lights on for parents of what's going on in the space and so that leads me down kind of another path that I've been thinking about with regards to tying just general pedagogy with digital literacy because I think that parental engagement is a goal of every school, right? In the same way mm-hmm. that at least they stated goal, whether it's an a- based on action, you know, that's to be debated. But in the same way, schools, I would like to think, are all working to support equity as much as possible. And so mm-hmm. how do you think that this exercise, and I'm already thinking about it just based on how that could help a parent who might not have time to help his daughter with homework, but can then make sure that when he's waiting for the bus to come home, he can watch something that his daughter did for a final product, which is really great. Mm -hmm. But what are some other ways that you can think of that kind of tying digital literacy with the work that is just naturally being done in spaces can help support equity?
1: There are, you know, probably a whole number of ways that it supports equity. I mean, very, very obviously, you know, schools that aren't supporting this and particularly schools in communities or schools that are typically under-resourced or do not have access to as many uh, digital tools and technology and devices, oftentimes some of the students are also operating in homes that may not have access to the same wealth of resources and technical Tools and so I think schools do carry a responsibility to on an, on that level to make sure students have been introduced um, to different kinds of tools and that they're expected to use different kinds of tools because otherwise they will really um, you know not be developing themselves as a person who can thrive in today's society. Um, so I think that is incredibly important. You know, I I guess part of me I often see. Uh, I know there have been a few series of articles that have run about some of the most probably elite schools in our country that have, and it's a little bit of a caution, which I understand caution toward digital. You know, it's not a panacea for schools. We shouldn't think we can throw, you know, 20 iPads in a classroom and then everything's okay. Um, But this idea that elite schools are saying we're not using any digital tools or devices, you know, no screen time, and part of me feels it's and you can't use that as an argument to say we should be scaling back because unfortunately I I am, you know, have some confidence that most of the children in that school are experiencing digital um, literacies and developing them in other avenues and have access to them outside the school day. Um, so I guess I say all that to say I think there is a responsibility for all schools to make sure there is at least a basic level of introduction to digital tools. There's a fluency with them there's a sense of comfort, opportunities to tinker. Um, in a lot of my work, I just uh, worked on a article with a colleague here in Cleveland on podcasting in the classroom, and he's in his now 27th year. And we decided last year was the year to give podcasting a try. And so we reflected on the experience. And one of the most important things was how uncomfortable he felt and all of us felt in creating our first podcast and mm-hmm. how much um, failure, I guess, for <laughs> that's the best word. There was a lot of failure, um, not failure of effort, but really in terms of what we considered the quality of the podcasts um, and even the submission rate or figuring out how to edit an interview or use sound. And I think uh, what we came out to say was that tinkering is so important and p- kids need, you know, low stakes places to keep tinkering. All kids. I don't think this actually discriminates you know, against any school like we just the best thing with digital literacies. I'm sure you felt this in your podcast, um, in the growth of the podcast. But just to play with, to figure out, oh, that that does that. That tool does that. Um, What kind of editing software am I going to use? How can it help me? Um, What can I do on the pre-production end to support a better um, production and Mm -hmm. an easier post-production? You know, so all of those little things um, that for all kids, regardless, of, you know, neighborhood or background or income level that that kind of tinkering takes tremendous time. And one of the things with digital literacies is that doesn't necessarily change. It won't like every time there'll be a new platform coming out and you need to tinker with it. But if you can develop the literacy of tinkering and how to figure out how to work all those layers and integrate them in a meaningful way, um, and you have the sort of the stance like okay this is going to be tricky it's going to take time but I just need to keep practicing with it right um, that I will get better at it and I have the, the comfort level to do it so I think so I guess that schools you know just from an equity level we're really not helping any child if we don't give opportunities to play with that and to draft and um, just kind of wind their way through um, to a final product
0: a final authentic product too which i think is really important that you touched on earlier it's just this idea that when i leave high school and i enter into you know my post k12 universe i'm going to need to use the school the the skills that i would have developed by producing a mini documentary or a set of songs or any of the other types of projects that you can have out there just as much if not more as the skills that are needed to write an effective paper and and so there is there's part of me that understands why we still have this focus on the traditional model of pedagogy and teaching generally in high schools, but also a lot of that just comes from our writing is not developing at a rate that we're happy with by the time kids are in a 10th and 11th grade. But again, Mm -hmm. if we're talking about like uh, the ideal, the ideal is by the time that a kid gets to ninth grade, I don't want to have to spend like hours teaching about where your thesis goes, because frankly, Mm -hmm. if you can just make a good argument to me and you can write it Mm -hmm. out and you can pitch it in a debate and you can make a video that is your sales pitch and you can do any of those things that show me, you know how to make an argument. I'm good. I'm happy. Mm -hmm. And again, Mm -hmm. I'm not every other teacher. And I know that on a spectrum, I exist on one side of things generally, but Mm-hmm. I do hope that we just move in that direction generally because I think you're right that these projects can have and just the, the mindset can have such a big difference in kids' lives. And so mm-hmm. that, that kind of flows nicely into wanting to talk about the research that you did and especially the conversations that you have had with students about digital literacy and how when it's used naturally and authentically in the work that they do it can change their perspective so what have some of your biggest takeaways been from just talking to students and seeing the work that they're able to produce Mm -hmm.
1: that's a huge question um and i'm one i'm excited to answer i'll try to do it um briefly here but always happen to follow up I think with, I have talked with a lot of students um, basically over the course of the last eight years. Um, Four of those years had very concentrated regular conversations with students all in high school. And when you asked that question, I did think of a a few conversations in particular that might capture probably why I care so much about this work. Um, But anyway. I guess some of the ways that the students pushed me to see, as someone who didn't grow up in this incredibly um, intense um, (laughs) 24-7 digital era, um, they taught me some new things uh, that I was resisting. So, for example, um, and I do talk about this perhaps in the article that you read from the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy, but this idea, when I first started doing my work, it felt as though the online platforms at times, the way that they unfolded, everybody was talking at once, um, right? That, yes. So, and this is the example of um, a learning management system, whatever it might be, Moodle, Blackboard, Canvas, all of them typically have a discussion board of some kind where students can contribute ideas. And when I first, I was um, at that point doing a lot of field observations and watching, and this, it, the ideas came so fast, and they were fairly brief, and often people were, there was overlapping talk, And I wondered how the students navigated it and how the teacher navigated it. What purpose did this serve? Uh, But it was amazing because when I interviewed the students about that, a few things happened. First of all, I asked them what they thought, you know, what their experience was with the the forums. And there was a somewhat kind of unequivocal love for them that they, um, students of varying, um, you know, interests and different dispositions in the class, they all really enjoyed the forum. So I asked why. And typically it hovered down to being able for everyone to get their idea out there. Because typically if a teacher opened the floor for discussion, they weren't all able to get their idea on the floor. And so, and the teacher made a move, which I'll talk about in a second, that amplified the written work on the forums. But they're used to the quick these quick knee-jerk reactions. So some kind of prompt would be asked and students on their own time could offer this contribution. And even though to me at first it felt like overlapping talk or simultaneous talk, the students learned how to navigate that and they were given time to retrace their steps they also developed little circles of talk. There were people they always wanted to know what they said. Uh, but I think it's really important that all of the students did get a chance to share something. And the expectation was that everyone shared something. Um, and I don't remember exactly, but I traced the minutes. Some, one time there were 76 posts in 13 minutes. You know, you could never as a teacher get 76 contributions in 13 minutes. Nope. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't end there, right? So what the next thing that they said, they said, and then we could talk about it after that so um, and this feels different because i know a lot of the research on some of the ways that facebook and uh, twitter and many social media platforms divide people and create yes um kind of just keep building negativity on negativity or just shut people off you know unfriend people let's like i can't handle it i'm not going to talk so in this classroom space which is a face-to-face school building this online chatter could happen with known people, but then the teacher, and this is the pedagogical move that's critical, says, okay, you know, make room in some way, let's talk about this, let's create something from this, uh, make a pot, you know, do something with what we learn. And so all of the ideas were out there, and then there was the deeper, you know, dive into the content of what was shared. Um, and for example, one student, uh, they were discussing, it was a humanities class, they talked about world religions, um, And there were conversations about stereotypes, basically, towards um, the Muslim population in America, Um, and then conversations about what it means to wear the hijab, and so forth. And so this was all tied to a very rigorous and, you know, challenging unit around world religions, but it also involved students' beliefs and ideas coming to the table, because that's obviously critical to this conversation. There was a student in the class who tended to be one of the Um, I would say quieter students in the class for sure. And uh, she also was a young woman who wore the hijab. and her post was probably the last post of all of them. So she clearly took time. It was very uh, actually didn't fall into the camp of no punctuation, no spelling. It just, she went, she took her time with it, but she was able to share some honest reactions to some of the posts that really challenged beliefs and it challenged um, what she her own experience and i interviewed her as well and she felt that it gave she she said she never would have been able to get the floor to talk about that and she also said she never knew that that person who was a friend thought that way um, or a classmate Um, so i guess for them it felt that it honored the way that they operate in the world And that they could all just get their ideas out there and do it really quickly. Like they're used to doing with text messages, but then from a teacherly from a school-based perspective that they were able to then dig into the content of that work. So I think it's sort of one long example, but it was very powerful. Um, And then another group of students, I did interviews and focus groups. They were able to remember so many conversations um, that the digital literacies provoked and how, and they were all the tipping point of what they considered some of the, the most memorable moments of the year. So I think it honored their kind of their world and some of the ways that they operate, but then pushed them to go further. And I hope taught them a way of civic engagement for their own life. You know, that this is a platform that we need. Um, We can share our beliefs, but we still are responsible for our beliefs Um, and we should talk across beliefs too.
0: Right. And I think that's really well said. Yeah, I I think that all of those, both of those examples are really strong. And I think the huge takeaway, which I I think is tangential, but I think when we're thinking about, you know, one, one thing, like if you're a Sixers fan one of our old general managers, his line used to be, you need to have the longest view in the room, right? And so if you take the longest view in the room with what we're doing for our kids, long-term, all I really want is a student that I teach in 10th grade when she is 35 that she has a job that she's happy with, that she she's living the life that she's happy with and she feels safe and secure and comfortable and loved, but also that she knows how to engage in a way that is prescribed by empathy and care and compassion for people of all different backgrounds and all different races and all different genders and go down the line. And so I think your point about trick training and showing students how to effectively have these discussions is so core because the the research that you point to um because when i was at penn i i helped start the one group that i was working with think through some research on twitter engagement and the like you said this idea that as you're hearing points that run counter to your beliefs instead of coming to the center you actually become further um, reinforced in your belief systems right and Mm -hmm. the way we talk about a lot of that research is we act as though it is static but in Mm -hmm. actuality it's almost like we forget that schools exist and if we have students at a young age learn how to talk about difficult things in a way that crosses boundaries and lines then the impact could be incredibly great. And so that brings me to the question that I'll get you out on. And that question is, what trends do you see that give you hope that we're moving in the right direction with regard to digital literacy? All
1: right, so the trends that give me hope for the direction of digital literacies and what we consider to be a text are the number of people who are really working hard every day. Um, And in some cases, in some of the schools I've been in in Cleveland, as well as Philly, this might be one or two teachers in a school building, which is important. Um, but every year, I actually think I see more and more cases where it is a team of people, so a whole department or in a team of people across departments. Um, and in the best cases, entire schools where the leader, uh, and I think that is essential, where the school leader is committed to this and they that all stakeholders feel supported in um, honoring the digital literacies. And so I would say the number of times, like even this year, um, going around to different classrooms in Cleveland and seeing schools, whether or not they seem to be on the outside, like an inquiry-based school, or project-based school, uh, but teachers promoting um, different kinds of projects that really honor the digital literacies of kids um, and really starting to see picking up on the conversation about Twitter and the, the role which we started to dig into of digital literacies for um, promoting democratic discourse mm-hmm. and ultimately some kind of social change. Teachers who are working hard to make connections between the, the content in their classrooms and the world outside and making the links for different kinds of productions that kids create where that that work has a really direct connection to something happening in the world because nearly every unit of every classroom I go into in high school I'm working with now there are, the links are explicit and kids can see opportunities and pathways for that for themselves to engage in that and so if they can create a product that actually goes outside the school building and outside the classroom it gives me Uh, tremendous hope and they really want to share the videos. I mean, we have uh, a few documentary films and things that have generated quite a bit of traction and that students share and that have actually generated real outcomes. Um, So a group who made a documentary film um, to help actually improve and beautify a street in Cleveland and it generated funds that now led to a year long effort to actually do the beautification and they receive the resources that are able um, to make that street um, just much more of a welcoming home for the the school that's on the street and the, there's a women's uh, shelter on the street. And so that was the goal of to try to beautify, make sure there, there was a place to sit, make sure there, were, there was something green uh, and some artwork. And so to see the way that a documentary film or um, a film is able to help make that happen um, has been pretty powerful. Um, And the last thing I'll say, the distributed knowledge, which I think you talked about earlier when you said, "What do I hope kids leave high school with?" I think that idea, every teacher can and should choose different things, but the the notion that students might become really fabulous at being a documentary film member and a filmmaker, another student might be a really fabulous podcaster or music producer, um, or you know, some other website designer to in order to showcase all of this. That kind of distributed knowledge, if in a perfect world, we honor all of those different kinds of knowledge and then create room for people to participate together with their um, diverse knowledges, then, you know, every time I see schools honoring that kind of mindset and stance, I feel a tremendous amount of hope.
0: Right. Well, I think that's an incredible note to end on. And so with that, Molly, thank you so much for coming on. I think that people listening will take away the need for us to just get on board with this because your point of talk to any adult about how the digital world has impacted their day-to-day and no one will be able to say that it hasn't. And so I love that and I hope everyone listening really heeds that advice and starts working towards that vision
1: great well thank you for having me and i look forward to talking again soon
0: thank you so much to molly for joining me on the podcast i'm so grateful to her for coming on and to you for listening if you enjoyed this episode please make sure you have subscribed on whatever podcast app you use you leave a five-star review on itunes and you share this episode wherever you can until next time Class dismissed.